Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, hello, everybody. Uh, welcome back for another episode of Galactica Actually. I'm Adiala Jackson, and my co-host is... Jamie Smith. And... Hello. Hi, how are you doing? <coughs> I'm good. Great. Um, we are doing... This week, we're doing an episode Fragged. Um, fragged, a.k.a. Farewell to Crashdown. <laughs> um, so in this episode, we say goodbye to our favorite, uh, Lieutenant ECO officer. Favorite is, is generous. Yeah, I mean, my favorite's racetrack, but... <laughs> <laughs> my favorite's Hilo. <laughs> but, you know... We love Crashdown, I think. So, um, yeah, you want to just jump into it? Before you get all centered, I'm yeah. just going to read out the definition for fragged. Okay. It means to kill, wound, or assault, especially an, especially an unpopular or overzealous superior with a fragmentation grenade. It is a military slang. Yeah. They, to kill or wound a fellow soldier or superior officer deliberately with an explosive device. Yeah, I think I saw that, that was, it became a semi-common occurrence in Vietnam, I think. Uh, yes, that is the origin. It was from Vietnam, yeah. Yeah. The Vietnam War. Not okay. the Vietnam country. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. The Vietnam War. Yeah, so they definitely, um, there was a phenomena of uh, maybe not uh, qualified um, officers uh, over there. And it, I guess it was a little bit easier to uh, have the enlisted men take down the officer and continue their job. And I guess we're going to see a little bit um, of that today. So I listened to Trisha Helfer's podcast, Battlestar Galacticast, um, and for this episode, they had Sam Witwer on, and he's lovely, and he was talking about 
how um, he'd sort of looked into a little bit, like, the circumstances of an officer or a fellow soldier being killed by one of its members of its platoon or its group or whatever. Mm-hmm. And how that is known to happen. And it made me think about in um, Band of Brothers, there's a captain who, I think when he was a lieutenant, he shot one of his soldiers mm-hmm. for being drunk. And it was hard for them to, there were a lot of rumors going around about this particular captain. And um, it sort of generated this reputation of like, they feared him, but he was such a good soldier and such a good leader. But it was like, yeah, but he shot one of his guys. And I think the truth of it was that this guy was drunk. He was given an order and he ref- he wasn't following it because he was drunk. And in order to save the rest of the platoon, this captain shot him hmm. and killed him because he was going to get them killed. So I guess that's an acceptable thing. Not officially, but, you know, acceptable if it puts everybody else in danger, which Mm -hmm. I feel Baltar doing what he did in this episode with Crashdown was essentially that. He was going to get them all killed. Mm -hmm. So you sacrifice this one guy, you do this one thing that's, you know, breaking the chain of command or, you know, outright killing somebody on your own side. But it's to save everybody else. It's interesting you brought up Band of Brothers. It's like not necessarily related to uh, the incidents of Fragged, but apparently that last sequence with Tyrrell um, shooting at the uh, Cylons and then the Raptor coming up behind them was, uh, I think they said that that scene was mirrored something in Band of Brothers as well. No, it was um, Saving Private Ryan. Saving Private Ryan. Okay, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. All war movies are the same to me, so I don't. Uh... <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, that was a, an homage to. There's a scene in Saving Private Ryan where Tom Hanks is shooting at a tank with his sidearm, mm-hmm. and then somebody, the Air Force, comes in and actually blows up that tank, which saved his life. Oh, okay. At, momentarily, because he, you know, spoilers. For a movie from 1998, he later dies. I did not like that movie, actually. Wow. Okay. <laughs> the, the opening sequence is amazing, and then I, and then I love that movie. yeah, and then that's about it. Tap out. Wow. Oh, I love that movie. I just I just couldn't get I just the the logic of it I just couldn't get ever get with even though I know it's semi based on something real or something but i was just like yeah. it didn't make sense to send a bunch of people out to get somebody out and then they all die um, i don't know i mean that was that was the dramatic part of it that was dramatized but there was a a group of brothers who were all enlisted and three of them died on a ship coming over mm-hmm. um they were from buffalo new york or near buffalo new york and there was this one brother that had not been killed yet and so the army decided to go in and get him so that this family did not lose every single one of their sons 
Yeah. That is true. But all the rest of it was dramatized to make a movie. Mm -hmm. So I see what you're saying, and yet I love that movie. And I think the performances in it are astounding. Yeah, I mean, it, it felt very sentimental, and I like I, I got it, but especially at that time in my life, I wasn't very like I don't know. I just wasn't I wasn't going for that. But whatever. <laughs> it's fine. You're heartless. It's cool. I am though. I am. <laughs> I'm. You know, they say I might. When I tell people I'm dead inside, I'm not joking. Like. <laughs> I am. Anyway, we open the episode um, with a shot of our cobalt survivors, and they're praying over a burial marker uh, for Sasanus and Tarn. Um, it's really like framed pretty, you know, beautifully is the word I'm going to use, and that's not quite the word I'm thinking, but um, just they have the dog tags kind of crossed over in front of the screen, and everybody's kind of somberly looking at them, and Crashdown's face kind of focused in on the middle of all of that. Um, uh, Crashdown is stumbling through reciting a prayer for them. Um, I love this because it sort of sets the tone for Crashdown just being in over his head where he's here he's struggling to remember the exact wording mm -hmm. from <laughs> like instead of just saying from anything from the heart yeah it's the what did they say at the funeral that i went to that time like he's just trying to remember this exact yeah. wording of mm -hmm. a, a you know a prayer or whatever that's said at a funeral mm -hmm. and then later when we see that he's just going exactly by the book what he learned in officer training school as like he he doesn't know how to organically do any of this mm -hmm. yeah you know I, was, I mean we haven't even really we haven't even gotten to you know the meat of the episode yet but yeah i was kind of thinking about the position he was in and it just like it was it was because of his rank, right? Mm -hmm. And that was it. Like yeah, and it's I don't of the chain of command. Yeah, and that was it. Like he didn't he he never was trained for any of that. Like in a in a real sense, like he took courses, you know. Um, right. But it, he just he he was he was the ECO. Like, like realistically, know? the pilot who died was probably a higher rank than him and, mm -hmm. and had, you know, leadership experience. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you see this in military media quite a bit um, where sometimes the right person sort of rises to the top where they just instinctually are good leaders and, and understand how to take what they learned and apply it in a way that isn't literally reading it off of a piece of paper. Yeah. And then there's other people who can learn this. They they can intellectually learn it like it's school, mm -hmm. but applying it in the field, it's that's just not like Crashdown probably would have been great as a somebody who's training people mm -hmm. or teaching them mm -hmm. in some way. But in the field, he's not a good field officer. Yeah, because all of the the emotions and you know everything that comes along with it were just like 
too much for him to deal with in real time, and he became ineffective. And and, and there's things like where he says, like, I'm this is the chain of command. I'm the lieutenant. Yeah. You're the chief. Like, that's not being a good leader. Yeah. You have to listen to your, like, yes, that is the chain of command. I am the manager of, at my job. I'm, I'm the top. But I'm not going to turn around and basically pull rank all the time and be like, I'm the manager. You're the supervisor. Mm-hmm. I listen to, like, okay, let's consider your ideas. Maybe your idea is better than mine. And that's, I feel, not to tell, you know pat myself on the back, but I feel like that's what makes you a good leader is, is there place and space for your, your input because we're a team. And Crashdown just didn't understand that because he was in over his head. He just didn't know how to do this. Yeah, it comes from like a lot, you know a place of insecurity, I think too. And I actually see this a lot when I watch these videos of cops getting owned, <laughs> and a lot of them are like you know cops pull that stuff all the time. Like they're just kind of like because I'm the boss of you. You know, yeah. you have to do it because I told you to. And it, but like, I'm the uh, one with a gun. Yeah, but a lot, I mean, in the instances, these ones I'm watching, a lot of times they're like violating someone's rights and, and but they don't want to back down because it's like the whole ego thing's happening. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, anyway. While they're doing, while Crashdown is reciting the prayer, um, Head Six appears to Baltar um, and she makes a common a comment that I uh, found kind of interesting because I it could just because in our in our last episode I, I you know I mentioned how uh, when Tarn passed it kind of reminded me of the scene in Lord of the Rings or whatever where they're talking about the White Shores and I was like imagining that's where he would go when <laughs> you know um, and I and I only say that because um, some episodes later Rosalind has that whole thing about the afterlife so i just assumed that there was some version of an afterlife in the show um that had some kind of real quote-unquote real um, context to it um but head six says nothing awaits them no eternal life no damnation only oblivion baltar um asked because they haven't seen the face of god i take it and she says because they died here on cobalt and I was like, I was a little shook, <laughs> you know, like the implication, I guess, is that Cobol is is in it, the juxtaposition of it being this lush green world with it actually being a dead world and like spiritually dead. And that's why I guess they had to leave in the first place, you know, yeah. um, we see a little bit of that vision with the uh, with the skulls and stuff in the previous episode. Um, so yeah, so that just kind of like, that puts a little bit of a fine point on anything that happens here. Like anybody that passes, like, this is it. This is the last stop. There's no, um, you know, going to the ship of lights, like in the, in the old battle star or something like that. Anyways, it's, uh, time, it's time for them to kind of gather up and move on. Um, Tyrrell tells uh, Baltar to get moving. Um, Baltar kind of comes out of his trance. In that little sequence, Tyrrell calls Baltar Doc. <laughs> and and uh, Baltar 
does his like fake faux offense um and trying to cover up for the fact that he was like daydreaming really um but uh balter is like i hear you chief i just did i just didn't respond to the title doc a doc is a platform for loading or unloading material <laughs> my title is doctor or mr vice president if you don't mind <laughs> so then tyrell says you're loading things aren't you right <laughs> and sam sam Whitwer said that there's a lot that's written in the script, and mm-hmm. then they're also allowed to sort of ad lib. Oh. And they get to those ad libs just from like shooting the scene several times, and they're, you know, the directors usually let them sort of get a little looser with things, just, you know, for yeah. variety. So that line from Tyrrell, well, you're loading things, aren't you? Mm-hmm. That was Aaron Douglas. That was an ad lib. That's great because that was a great line. That, that, yeah. that whole thing was like, you know, I think in the the few episodes before, like some episodes in the season one, we we talked about tie me up, tie me down, and how they were going for comedy. Not, mm-hmm. but it wasn't like you know laugh out loud comedy, but it was just like maybe a little chuckle. You know, um, they yeah. wanted to like pay mind to the world that they were in and I kind of felt that in moments even in this episode that gets really dark <laughs> um and especially considering all the things that these these characters have just gone through and you know the hours proceeding um still was very sort of like uh, felt very organic mm-hmm. um so as there as the group's uh, starting to leave crash down stairs kind of ominously is staring at the gravesite the dog tags and Chief calls him to um, to come all, come along and um, crash down, grabs the dog tags, and they and then they leave. And I kind of I kind of don't think he was supposed to take the dog tags. Actually, kind of felt like they were supposed to stay there on the burial, but I don't. I'm not sure. Um, um no, they. W- I I would have been surprised if they left them. Mm. Yeah, like because... officially they should have taken them because that's what they're supposed to do, right? Yeah, yeah. But it just kind of felt like that's not. I don't know. It's just the way the whole the whole scene was set up. It was kind of like this burial, and I just it was kind of it was just a little strange. But um, so then a few moments later, there the five of them are um, kind of resting. They're surveying an area ahead of them, looking through some um, binoculars. And in the distance, the chief spots a landed Cylon Raider, and they see some Cylons dismantling and hauling some pieces out of it. And they're kind of walking into the woods. They look closer, and then they realize the Cylons are building a missile battery. Uh, and Tyrol says, after Baltar starts questioning him a little bit, that the Cylons will be able to wipe out everything in that valley with the missile battery. So it's very ominous and scary. Um, and then we go to our credits. <laughs> um, so we jump back onto the Galactica. Doc Cottle is finally on board the Galactica, and he's kind of rushing into the scene. He's just getting off of the shuttle coming from the Rising Star, apparently. Um, he's got a cigarette hanging from his mouth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's rushing to sick bay. And he says, uh, you know, he says next time uh, when I say I'm in a hurry, uh, cycle the damn airlock faster. So he like, you know, gives that sense of like they're definitely in a rush right now. Um, while he's on his way to sick bay, Billy tries to stop him in the hallway 
um, and he tells him the president needs him, but Doc Cottle ain't got time for any of this <laughs> right now. And so Billy's obviously um, this is like it's a setup for uh, the the what the B or C story with uh, Rosalind and needing to get her uh, Kamal extract. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so we enter sick bay, and Cottle actually puts out his cigarette. And so you know this must be serious. <laughs> um, and he, he starts to suit up. The paramedic, I had to, actually had to get the, the paramedic's name. His name is Kim. Um, but he, had the, he updates Doc Cottle that, um, like on the situation. So you know, uh, Adama got shot by two bullets. One lacerated his spleen, the other nicked an aorta. He says they repaired the aorta, aorta, removed the spleen, but his vitals are still falling. So then Doc Cottle says that you must have missed something because he's still hemorrhaging. And so he has them prep him for surgery. Ty is kind of floating around on the outside. Um, and he asks uh, Cottle if Adama's going to make it. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. <laughs> How Cottle, do I know? I'm not a psychic. <laughs> right. <laughs> now get the hell out of here. <laughs> uh, so good. It's like you you so rarely see doctors on any show. Yeah. Just be like honest about that. Like, I don't know. Usually they're like, we'll, we'll do our best. We're going to do our best. We're, you know, but this is like, how the hell do I know? I'm not a psychic. In my notes, I, I, I kind of like I actually took a little time out writing about some of this this interaction because you know, I started thinking about Cottle in the context of the show, and he's sort of like I, his his energy, not his rank. So his rank's like I think Colonel, I think I can't remember uh, or Major, but um, his energy supersedes Adama and Ties. So. There's no one else on the ship that could talk to either of these people the way he does. Right. But, and it's sort of like understood that it's kind of okay for him to do that. It's just kind of his bedside manner. But it's also just the way he carries himself, whatever. And they just move on right away. Um, But no one else talks to Ty that way. Like, no one talks to Ty that way. Well, and it's not like you can pull rank with a doctor, especially when he's literally the only doctor. Like, he he gets to be as cantankerous as he wants to be. Exactly. Because it's just like Ty would, like, if anybody talked to Ty that way, he would sort of, like, show his authority and power to that person with, like, a comment or, you know, whatever. He does a lot of that in this episode with everybody. Um, but he doesn't do it with, with Cottle. He like backs away. He backs down. He's like worried. I just find actually never really kind of like, I've always loved Doc Cottle, but I kind of really understood the dynamic. It's almost like, uh, like it's like Dr. McCoy on Star Trek, but times like 11, you know? Um, I'll take your word on it. You never watched Star Trek ever? Not, not much. No. Unless you're talking about the Carl Urban version of McCoy. Either one. Any 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 he McCoy. He was pretty cranky. Yeah. He was actually probably more of he was probably more cranky than than the original version was because he was sort of like more of doing a caricature synthesis of it. Um but that's the essence of who he is, right? And so yes. 
Okay. He's the only one that can talk to Spock the way he does, and Kirk. And, um, but yeah, he's the doctor, you know? So I guess doctors can do that. So then, um, so they're doing, <laughs> they start doing the surgery. Coddle's being all grumpy, <laughs> shouting commands, yelling at people. I actually found it funny, even though Adama's life's on the balance. Um, Ty is hovering around the operation table outside. Uh, there's like a plastic uh, drop that's kind of dividing it. Um, all of a sudden, um, they're, like, they're saying the pressure's dropping, so everyone gets very tense. Um, Ty then leaves, and he goes out into the hallway, and he props himself up on some boxes or containers or something in the hallway, and he pulls up his pant leg and pulls out a flask from his boot, and he takes a swig. So um, apparently Ty's still on the sauce. <laughs> and and not well, being in any way secretive. Yeah, not at all. Yeah, yeah. It's just very... And it kind of, you know, I think that he they did that same thing in the miniseries when we first see Ty. I think we see a yeah. similar a similar shot. It's like not as dark and, and everything, but it's kind of like he's kind of off to the side and takes a swig and keeps going. So definitely he's back he's back to his old Ty ways apparently. Um, while he's taking a swig, <laughs> Billy kind of enters from behind and Billy definitely sees, but you know, he's trying to make it as less awkward as possible. Billy asks how Adama is and Ty says <clears throat> Ty says he'll he's still in surgery. What's on your mind, Billy? <laughs> Billy's awkwardly is like, uh, yeah, uh, Rosalind needs some medication or use it for the president. Um, Ty <laughs> abruptly is like, uh, she's not the president anymore, <laughs> and Coddle's busy. Then this is really funny. I was I just think this is really funny. He's asking, "Why aren't you in the brig?" <laughs> and Billy's kind of awkwardly uh, because nobody put me in there. <laughs> yeah. yeah and, then, and then Ty gives him gives him this look like, and that can change. Yeah, he gives a scowl, and then yeah. he just kind of leaves. <laughs> and so we go into the CIC, and then you know, trunk, drunk Ty is in the CIC. He's floating around. He's like every middle manager I've ever had. He's like looking for something to nitpick to justify him being there. Well, I love that he's like, he sees Lee and he's like, what the hell are you doing here? Mm-hmm. And Lee's like, when I'm on duty, I'm I'm not in the brig. Yeah. And then he's like talking about trying to, he's like setting up this rescue mission. And Ty's like, we lost a plane? Why didn't no one tell me we lost a plane? And they're like, right. it's the raptor on COBOL. Like, dude, that was yesterday. But he's just so... Ty's been, you know, so focused on Adama and then Cylons being on the ship that he's completely forgotten about the people on Cobalt. And he's been drinking. There's all these looks like, uh, bro, you lost your mind? Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, it's like he... they're. He's like, are you, you're not all there right now. Like, it actually gets uncomfortable. Um, yeah. There's this big scene later. Yeah, so Apollo has to remind him, yeah, we have a Raptor crew on the surface, guy. Ty tries to, like, say some other senior pilot can take over for the search and rescue, rescue um, a pilot named Symes. And then Apollo reminds Ty that 
he's the CAG when he's on duty and not in the brig. Um, so he just, he's kind of like, am I in command or not? There was actually a deleted scene from the previous episode that had that, that had like a similar power struggle between Ty and Apollo around leading the mission. Um, it, in that case, it was like leading the mission to, to, get the Cylons that were on the ship. Hmm. Um, so it's sort of a little bit of a continuation of that. I'm glad they cut that because it was not necessary. We understand. And it would have been repetitive to have it here too. Yeah. It was like that scene. And there was like a, there was a sequence right at the very end, right before he uh, says to Ty, he's say something I'm glad I don't have kids or I forget what the line yeah. is, but there, there was a whole exchange right before that. They just cut all that. just kept the end. And yeah, it plays way better. Just having the ending. Um, you don't need, we didn't need all of that, but anyways, it was just a carryover from that whole conversation. So there's definitely like a, a back and forth going on, um, between them. Again, Ty kind of scowls and he relents and he just, Everything kind of calms down in that moment. <laughs> and then he proceeds to ask about the status of this uh, search and rescue mission. They keep, they keep calling it an SAR. Um, so their plan is that they hope that the crashed uh, Raptor has a transponder or disease, disaster beacon, which they can locate the survivors. And then, you know, it's a big planet. And so they said they'll take two Raptors, make five low-level orbits the planet, and then um, that's when Ty asked about the Cylon base ship. And, like, if, you know, if Boomer was lying, they could be waiting for us, you know. Um, Apollo says racetrack. Oh, racetrack. She's my hero. Um, <laughs> Apollo says racetrack's confirmed that it was destroyed. Um, and I guess there's some gun footage from the Raptors that verifies that it was, it was uh, destroyed. So it's kind of like checkmate. So Ty doesn't really, he does he's losing ground. He's like trying to find things to poke at. Cause like, mm -hmm. how else do I justify being here? Cause I'm a middle manager and I'm useless right now. Um, so then he has nothing else to do. So he turns to start to bully Gata. <laughs> yeah. like, Why are you hovering about? Yeah. Gata's like, uh, the press is waiting. Uh, they're demanding to know how much longer they're being held. And when they can contact their home ships and, Ties like they demand. You tell them to shut your yaps, um, and they'll get to them. Then D interjects, and she says that the shuttle from the Zephyr has the quorum of twelve, and they've requested permission to enter the holding pattern, or demanding and demanding to see Ty. Who <laughs> Ty again responds demands. <laughs> and then we um, get Lee's great line. Yeah, they so like it's in the way that the scene is framed is like cool. So it's like. Lee's in the background, he's kind of blurred out, and he's going over, like, the mission plans, and then, like, Ty and Dee and stuff in the foreground, and then it kind of, like, blurs Ty out, and it kind of, and then Lee comes into focus in the back, and then he says... Demanding job, commanding a battle star. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> and he just says it's so, like, under his breath. Ty probably can hear him, but... yeah. He says it under his breath, and everyone can hear him. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's not, and every everybody kind of stops a little bit in that moment too, and like acknowledges a little bit that yeah, you're you're out of your depth here, Colonel. 
<laughs> well, what we're seeing in this episode is, like, I forgot that it was the third episode where Ty sort of loses grip on his command here, where he makes all the wrong moves because right. he did so well in a crisis. He made all the right moves, made all the right decisions, was very clear of mind. And here it's the politics of the running a battle star. Mm-hmm. It's the interpersonal stuff. And it's not just military, especially in the situation that they're in. It's not just about military moves and maneuvers. It is about, you know, holding together what's left of a society. Mm-hmm. And he is not equipped. He's not equipped. He has no desire to do any of this. Not There's no part of his body that there's nothing about him that wants to be in charge. charge. Yeah. So like him honing in on the word demand he takes offense to that because mm-hmm. it's who are these people to demand anything of me? Mm-hmm. But that's just a turn of phrase demand. They're demanding to see the president. They're demanding to speak with you, but he's hearing it in a chain of command sort of way of like, they don't demand anything from mm-hmm. me. He's not thinking about it. Like, well now I have to sort of, do the political thing here and sort of ease everybody's minds over the situation. He just makes everything worse as he goes. Yeah. On. As it goes. And, and like in, in a certain way, he's like, I mean, he's like a ship version of um, crash down on the planet, you know, yeah. where he's just kind of like a little bit out of his depth right now. So the, anyways, Ty clears the Zephyr to land, tells them, it tells uh, D to put them in the ward room and hold them there until he has time to see them. Um, then we cut to the brig and Rosalind is asleep, dreaming of nightmares, apparently. Um, she screams awake uh, and then Corporal Venner, the, uh, 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 the Marine that's... Um, kind of watching over that's guarding her uh, guarding the brig asks what's wrong um billy's like <laughs> clearly she's sick um <laughs> uh, and then billy kind of craftily craftily kind of goes up to her and asks her if he can get her anything and you know he knows what she needs she kind of comes to in that moment she says no thank you and then she quietly apologizes and tells him it's hard for her to think clearly because she's withdrawing from the kamala extract um, so Billy, uh, says he'll try to get her more and she's like, uh, go fast. <laughs> and then, you know, Billy kind of exits and then there's like, the camera kind of pans and there's like a knowing look on, uh, Corporal Venner's face. Then we're back to Cobol and our survivors, our crash survivors are scouting the Cylons now. They kind of seeing what's actually up with that, um, heavy raider. Um, so Callie says she counts six missiles being carried into the forest missile site so far. Um, Baltar turns away saying it's also pointless. Um, then he's suddenly in that dope house in Vancouver, uh, <laughs> Whistler with six head six. <laughs> um, and then they start talking about the cycle of violence. So 
He says uh, to Head Six, uh, it's also pointless. We kill them and they kill us. So we kill more of them. They kill more of us. What's the point anymore? Um, and then Head Six is like, your race invented murder. They invented killing for sport, for greed, envy. It's yeah, it's man's one true art form. Um, and this conversation actually is um, on the surface isn't as it's not readily important, but it actually comes around a little bit later in the episode and kind of gets referred to in a, in a different context. And Baltar, you know, he's like, well, you've done some killing of your own, I think. And Head Six is like, yeah, uh, but we're your children. <laughs> you taught us well. <laughs> it's kind of checks him a little bit. Um, and it, I actually found this interesting because you know how I keep I keep saying that you know that she's uh, an angel, um, and I know that they literally she literally says that later. But in this instance, actually, it's sort of evidence that she would be a Cylon, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, I still and I remember originally when I was watching the show. Obviously, it was still a question what she was, and this is definitely a moment where you could be like, oh yeah, she's. I mean, this is telling that she's actually a part of the Cylons. Well, I think that she's both for him. Like, sometimes I think that these conversations that he has with her in his head are him, his imagination. Mm -hmm. Like, him working out, like, she says it at the end, I'll be your conscience. And sometimes I think, like, these conversations between the two of them in his head are just him sort of grappling with his conscience. And sometimes they are her actually helping him because it's in some sort of other presence in his mind. So, like, in this conversation, he's like, oh, I'm not ready to be a father, and oh, this is so, why would you want to bring a child into this? We, we kill them, they kill us, it goes round and round, and then, you know, culminating with her being like, be a man. Like, all of this almost feels like this is him talking to himself. It just, this conversation with them, between the two of them, feels a little bit different to me than some mm -hmm. of the other ones that they have. I will ever since the finale of when they ever their their relationship got a lot darker, I think. And so ever since then, it has been. And, you know, and then there, you know, for me, it's like she's preparing him for like this new path that he's going to be taking with uh, events that are going down on the ship. And this is the be a man part is literally preparing him for you know, what's going to be going down later in the episode. The time is coming when you'll have to act like one, she says. Mm -hmm. So then he kind of snaps back. And then Tyrrell, you know, back, back to back to life, back to reality. Um, Tyrrell notices a Dreadus dish in the trees. And then he kind of, I think he kind of realizes actually what the whole thing is actually is now. So um, he realizes it. He says it's for it's an anti-aircraft battery. So the Dreadus, the Dreadus would lock in on the search and rescue team when they were doing those two, when they do two low-level passes, when they're um, surveying the area, which kind of refers to what they, what uh, Apollo was saying that their plan would be um, mm -hmm. when they were on Galactica, and so when they do the two low passes. Um, the Dreadus would lock on them and then they would blow them from the sky. Celix looks very troubled and very concerned. <laughs> I just, there were a lot of shots of Celix just kind of like looking like, oh no. 
I forgot I had a crush on Celix too. Um, <laughs> totally forgot. I didn't. I don't remember her till like later in the show, but yeah, I guess she you know appears now. Um, yeah, Celix looks a mess right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I noted like wow they really like like embiggened her hair. <laughs> <laughs> this episode. Yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah, her hair was just like it was doing some things. Like how do we show her stress without just relying on her face? Let's make her hair just huge. <laughs> you know, they have like to brush it in a couple of days. Yeah. And I you know, I noticed too in this episode, I mean this is like the third episode of the season and um they crashed in uh the finale or we first see them after they crash in the finale of season one and they've had that like blood like especially baltar has that that blood makeup Mm -hmm. (laughs) on like four episodes so they all have like you know scars and i mean for them it's only been like a day yeah day exactly i just thought it was like a it was like a you know again it's like a little nice detail it's like a little bit i noticed with baltar it felt a little over the top but then also it's like, no, like it's only, it just shows you it hasn't been that long yeah. for them. So then we're back on Galactica and they're on the flight deck and Apollo um, says to Ty, I think they're kind of going over like some details about the, the mission. And he says that there are seven of the birds are down for repairs. Three are out on picket duty. I actually had to look that up because I was like, what's picket duty? And that's uh picket duty is like their active defense um and I guess like a, a, the cap, I guess, around Galactica. So there's always like um, a bunch of fighters out there just kind of ready to defend, even though there's nothing necessarily there. Okay. So those need to, so those need to stay out there. When he said picket duty, I was like, what is it? Because like the uh, people are picketing because <laughs> they want the president back, I, you know, <laughs> Yeah, you just have that WGA picket line on your mind. I do. I got, you know, got a lot of friends going through that. It's rough, rough, rough scene right now. D starts talking to Ty about all the calm traffic, and Ty's all like, "Cut to the chase." He wants to know how long before they launch the SAR. Then he gets mad at D about some signatures that she has no control over having. And then Lee's over here talking about they need to cannibalize Raptor 305 for parts. And it should take him about 90 minutes before he can get up the air. And then Ty loses his shite. This is another instance of Ty, like, he's behind the eight ball on this. Now he's acting like this was all his plan. We have to go down and, and get these people off this off of COBOL. When before he was like, what do you mean? Like questioning Lee. Now he's like, we have people down there on that planet. Like, yeah, yeah, dude. But half an hour ago, you were like, what rescue mission? Right, right. So he's like, 90 minutes. Yeah. We got, get your head in the fracking game, he says. And it's like. The, every, I think, and everybody kind of like looks at him because, like, I've, like, there's no substance to anything that he's saying, right? Like, get your head in the game. What does that even mean? He's just <laughs> and, trying and, to and exert it, his authority because he, get, he just feels like he doesn't have any. There's a level of projection there too, right? Yeah. Like, he's the one that's drunk. Yeah. <laughs> you know, 
Like, if anybody's not, his head is not in the game, it's you, you know? I, I would just like to say I've seen so many uh, men get promoted in work situations for doing the same exact thing he's done. Mm-hmm. For some reason, they get to get away with that. Well, not to get on a huge tangent, but this society that we live in seems to reward people who stomp their feet and scream and yell because that means that they're passionate and that they they know what really matters enough to yell about it mm-hmm. instead of like the people who are actually doing the job. It's always the people that are stomping their feet and yelling that don't have control of a situation, but somehow mm-hmm. we've rewarded those people over and over and over again. So like when I worked in the in the industry when i worked at a talent agency i dealt with this a lot where agents at at the agency would just like be screaming and yelling about things where we would be sitting there like why are you yelling Mm -hmm. because they they didn't have control over a situation and the only way that they've ever learned that anything could be effective is if you yell about it right and you know that happens over and over again and as I personally grew into a role where I'm in charge I don't ever want to lose my cool and take out my insecurities on the people who are below me in rank or whatever so I've it's just not in my nature anyway but I've just been on the other end of that so much that I just knew like that is never how I would want to be it's not an effective way to lead mm-hmm. screaming and yelling doesn't get anybody anywhere it does maybe it does in the moment yeah as I say it does for some people <laughs> in the moment but like yeah. ultimately all you're doing <clears throat> all you're doing is making a fool of yourself yeah. Because you're showing the cracks to everybody around you. Like, you, this person doesn't have it together. They are not calm under pressure. All they can do is yell and scream. It's amazing how much I like Ty, given that everything he exhibits in this episode is everything I do not like about people who tend to be in these positions. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because a lot of why I like Ty is for a lot of the the way he is, not the way he is, but his lines that he has when he's kind of like locking down and stuff. I don't like the context of it in this episode, but in other episodes when he's not in control and he does stuff, like I love it, right? Um, but again, this episode is made to highlight just the fact that he's out of his depth. Like, um, and they, again, um, they said in the previous two episodes was. They went through pains to show us how effective he actually is in a certain situations. So, like in the in the wartime fighting um, situations, he's on point. But now that it's diplomatic and that kind of stuff, he's he's not the guy that you want. But they wanted to show him being competent, so that you didn't just completely write him off and be like, "Why is this guy even an EXO?" Yeah, you know. I did. I hadn't watched the director's commentary for the previous episode until, like, I, I until I actually watched this one. There was a lot of like a lot more flashback stuff that they had cut out, and there was a lot of talk about how like they Ty actually talks about 
um, his hand-to-hand encounter with the Cylons. And you get a lot more of, like, the, just, you know, what he, what he went through as a soldier. He's a very, he, he, he actually earned his place to be where he's at. He was in the trenches. He, he, like I said, he fought hand-to-hand. There's a line where he says, like, to this day, if he smells oil, it turns his stomach, you know? So he, he was, like, in this war, and to the point where he meets some other soldiers or pilots and and they don't really respect the fact that he went through this this stuff and he like gets in a fight with them at a bar and he's actually a very capable soldier keyword <laughs> very capable soldier yeah but it's like he's really good at one specific thing and we get to see what happens when he's taken out of that um, that element. Yeah, he's a good soldier. He's not a good leader. There is a difference. He's a good Cylon. Uh, um, <laughs> 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 oh, we talked we talked about that a billion times so far. Right? Yeah, I think um, <laughs> it's still separate in my brain, though. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't take it doesn't take into effect until it becomes a thing. So, oh, so then, uh, yeah, so then D, uh, he then he turns to D, he asks uh, the members of the quorum in the wardroom now, and she says all 12 are there, so um, they uh, head on out there. He asks, he asks D, like, do you want to speak for me? And she's like, I never was much for public speaking, sir. So then they, we cut to the wardroom, and the quorum are standing there in their fancy dress collars, and they're giving Ty the what for. <laughs> Ty, Ty lashes out to them, tells them Rosalind caused the mutiny and sedition aboard the ship. It's not wrong. She also caused a key military asset to be lost in a critical moment, and he's yelling all this. And um, again, not wrong. And then Zarek um, jumps in and says Adama was paving the way to martial law, you know, Zarek doing his Zarek thing. I feel like Zarek put the idea of martial law into Ty's head. Here. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not sure that, that Ty would have gotten to that point because he knows that that's not something that Adama would like. Yeah. Which he says right away. Yeah. That's, uh, I can tell you, the old man would have never done that. Right. He believes in freedom and all that right. stuff. But I think... <laughs> I think Zarek planted this seed, and then Ellen also doesn't help things, and Ty basically, like, loses any of his, like, logical abilities by the end of this. Like, he is so out of his depth, and drunk, and I think being drunk is part of it, that he gets this Mm -hmm. idea of martial law in his head, he's losing control of things around him, and so he takes this opportunity I mean, the skipping ahead, but he said, I feel like the editing is tricky in this, where we see him say to the, you know, recovering Adama, I really fracked this up for you, Bill. But I think that Mm -hmm. that actually happened after he declared martial law. I think he knows that this, he messed up, but he acted impulsively. Yeah, I... I mean, it's just a bit, you know, and like you, you could even go, I don't, I don't personally go here, but, um, I didn't really think about this right now, but like, they already had established that, that like a Zarek and, uh, Ellen little 
connection there. Yeah, so, I haven't thought about that either, it, actually. Yeah, they could, it could, you know, I don't, I actually, that's, that's stretching. Yeah, I don't think they're working together yeah. technically. Yeah. But I think they both have sort of the same, like, she wants Ty to be in control. She wants him to be the guy. And mm-hmm. Zarek wants to sort of disrupt the government. Mm-hmm. Or disrupt the military. Because he's in the government, so I think he likes being there. I don't think that martial law benefits him, but the chaos mm-hmm. he can capitalize on. Yeah, and you know, like yeah, Zarek, he's always he's always got to like take it to some crazy end, <laughs> you know. Yeah, like let's let's have free and fair elections, and but then it just turns into something else with him, like always. I guess that might have been a bad example because he actually was kind of on the up and up in that case. But anyways, uh, Ty says no. Uh, obviously, Adama believes in freedom and democracy and all that stuff. He's got, you know, mocking them. Um, then Zarek demands that they get immediate access to Laura and Ty says he'll take it under advisement. And he leaves after dunking a pin in water. <laughs> it's such a weird... Yeah, I don't know <laughs> what his point of that was. And they all stared at me. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> I was Ugh. like, it's... it's like he, you know, grabbed one of their collars and threw it in the toilet. Like, it's just a. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So while that's happening, speaking of Ellen, um, while that's happening, uh, Ellen's kind of lurking over Laura, who's in bed mumbling in the brig. And, uh,. I thought this was interesting. Um, Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but I didn't want to forget um, Mm -hmm. how it compares to in the last episode when Dee was sort of like shell-shocked and Billy kept calling her Dee Mm. and she wasn't answering. And Rosalind Mm. says, use her rank. Here we have Ellen using her, her rank, Madam President, and... Rosalind's not responding, but when she says Laura, mm-hmm. Rosalind, like, what? Oh, like, it's like just a an interesting juxtaposition. That is a great observation. I didn't pick that up. That's really, that's a really good spot. Yeah. It's very, it's probably intentional, right? Probably. I would like to believe that they are smarter than I am. <laughs> I think <laughs> it's really really intelligent brilliant show but uh-huh. you know if it wasn't intentional then i'll just pat myself on the back a pat little. yourself on the back <laughs> <laughs> uh so laura wakes up she's clearly out of her mind and ella tell, ellen tells her she's come down to see if there's anything she could do for her obviously she's lying um laura says she'd like to have a conversation with her attorney <laughs> she's still spaced out <laughs> ellen says uh do you know who uh do you know where you are and, and she's like in jail but when asked if she knows who ellen is she gets confused then she hears like ringing in her ears or something and sits in the bed in pain and then ellen is like "Ooh." And then she leaves, and then when she leaves, Laura finally comes to, and she's got this look on her face, like, and she, I think she says, oh my gods, Ellen Ty. And then um, Corporal Venner is over there holding his 
colonial ro- I call them colonial rosary beads. <laughs> and it's praying to the Lords of Cobol. So we're still kind of setting up like what's going to go down later with that. Back on Cobol, like the setup is is that they're kind of going over the mission, but what they're going they're going over like the layout of uh, the situation so that they can formulate a plan. They're getting recovered. Um, and it's yeah, but it's like it, the the scene is told in like this section of like flashbacks mm-hmm. as um, characters are like talking over it, and it doesn't quite overlay properly. But um, Baltar is having this um, flashback of seeing the encampment. He's looking. He climbs on this log. And he's looking down at the encamp- in the encampment. And then Crashdown kind of gives his line. There's a launcher. Um, Tyrrell says there's an ordinance that appears to be ship-to-ship missiles. Callie says that this, uh, one sentry's walking the perimeter, stopping at regular uh, intervals. And then Baltar says there's a Dreadish dish that controls the missiles. I like this little this little line because like he's a scientist, right? So he would like know this. He's like, it's a 4.5 kg wavelength, <laughs> judging by the diameter. I just thought that was like a nice little detail. Um, and that's what he guarded... knows how to report on. <clears throat> yeah. He doesn't know, you know, they're basically, it seems they said there's four of them. So they, or five of them. Um, so they send, them, yeah. they're all sent to a different place to like bring back you know how many Cylons are there what are they doing mm-hmm. what is their rotation but he's not a soldier he never <clears throat> sorry I just keep losing my voice he never was trained to know what to look for so mm-hmm. there's a question through this whole thing were there only two Cylons yeah, and well, and here's like the thing is, I mean, because what he does is actually very astute. Um, like he just, I, and there's there's, a, there's some things I you know kind of noticed about his delivery of the lines, and I'll, I'll talk about that just a little bit later. But then um, we jump back to the present um, from those flashbacks of the scene, and then we see like Crashdown's like taking notes on a little pad as they're giving as they're giving him like the details or whatever. Um, but then he. Crashdown asked Baltar again. He's like, so did you say it was guarded by two centurions? And then Baltar says, yes, I did. Um, and, then, and then he asks, like, in more detail, was it guarded continuously or intermittently? And then it kind of jumps back to the flashback. And we see that Baltar, when he was, he's on that log looking through the spyglasses or through the binoculars, one of the centurions, like, turned and looked in his direction and Baltar panicked and dropped the binoculars, and then he panics and he turns around and goes away. Mm-hmm. So we see that he doesn't like he he he. There's a question there about whether or not there were actually two Cylons, or if there were any more, right. or whatever. Were they continuously there or intermittently? He doesn't actually know. Yeah, but he they come back. And, it, and this is the, the, the delivery. The delivery that he says it. Um, I actually noted that he actually sounds like Aralon Baltar. So it's almost like he drops into that, which we don't find out about this part. It's Aralon, right? That he's yeah. originally from. And then he talks, and he drops into this this other accent. And he uses, and he actually kind of uses it here. 
But he, you know, he's like, I saw two centurions through the field glasses continuously for five minutes. In that time, they didn't leave their posts. So he's very like, you know. So crash down and says, okay, so there's three toasters near the launcher, two more out by the dish. And he says, that's a lot of Cylons. So there's five Cylons that they've accounted for in their little plan. Then crash down seals his ultimate doom <laughs> because he asked Baltar if he's ever handled a weapon. Baltar is like, nope. And then Tyrrell's kind of like uh, looking on like, uh, what are you doing? He asks uh, if he expects them to attack the Cylons. Crash says that they owe it to the rescue mission to take them out, to take them out before they kill kill anyone. First, you get a says, sense. Actually, he says they well, owe it to Sasinus and Tarn. Well, yeah, he doesn't. No, he says it after. Um, he says that before. He says that when he pulls Tyrrell aside. So at first, he's like, "We got to do it for the mission." Um, and you get a sense that like he's not like saying everything, which obviously he's not. And it, and I actually think like Crash Down actually like he's actually ultimately right. Like because when when the Raptor does come, and if they don't do anything, the Raptor will get shot down. Now, how they would go about that is another question. <laughs> but anyways, while while he and um, Tyrrell, like, kind of pulls him aside. Um, and then while they're talking, Baltar is like, I've never fired a gun before. And then Celix says she hasn't fired one since basic training. And then Callie has a classic, the classic line, I, I only joined the military to pay for dental school. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, on, on their little side, Crash Down and Baltar, that's when he's, like, he, they kind of go over this plan. He says, uh... Tyrrell's like, uh, they can't go up against the Cylons. Crashdown says they have to. Tyrrell says they can't. And then this is when Crashdown snaps. He's like, we owe it to the rescue party and to Societus and Tarn. There's a little thing that I noticed the music actually, and this is not connected at all, but the music actually had hints of all along the watchtower at that moment. Did it? Yeah. It wasn't direct. It just kind of like, it. it, it the music kind of had a hint of what they use for that uh sound a little bit later yeah and it's probably unintentional because they didn't think of that until much later yeah so yeah um Tyrrell says i fail to see what this has to do with societus and tarn <laughs> and then this one crash you know crash kind of snaps back and says maybe that's why i'm the officer and you're not dismissed and then everybody just kind of looks over and they're like, what? What just happened over there? Do you think that the plan that Crashtown has here is a good plan? So here's the thing. It's complicated. So initially, I think what Crashtown wanted to do was right, given what they knew in, the, at, in that moment. So with all the information they had, if they didn't do anything about that, um, the Dratus or whatever, or if they didn't attack those Cylons, then I think that's where the, the issue of the plan comes, comes up, then the rescue raptor is just getting shot down. So it's like they have to do something, right? It's just like, what do we do? 
And so what we find out a little bit later is there's some information that gets added to this. And then that's when they have their breakdown because uh, Crashdown ends up like wanting to like stick to whatever plan he set up. But Tiro's like, oh, we have an opening to do something else. And it actually is probably more advantageous and better. And that's been their whole back and forth for the last three episodes anyways, right? And so, but initially, I think Crashdown's plan actually was, I don't know, I mean, it was solid, but they didn't have any other choice at that moment. Um, But when they get offered another choice, then I'm like, they should have done the other choice. Yeah, because I think that Chief's idea later makes much more sense Mm -hmm. and has a better likelihood of success because they're not going up against a force that is much stronger than what they have here. You've got Callie who has probably not shot a gun since basic either. You've got Celix. You've got Baltar who has never shot a gun and is not a soldier. And then you've got a deck chief and a lieutenant. And this lieutenant probably also has not shot a gun since OCS. So they're, they're outmatched. And outgunned, <laughs> outmanned. <laughs> and Washington would never have. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I just, it just feels like he's, he's laying out this plan. And then we get to the next part where we see his little diagram that he made on the ground and his, you know, <laughs> five grids of, you know, this is the way the plan is laid out. Yeah. That's, you know, very, very technical. And it just feels like they are, they are never going to be able to win. That little diorama, <laughs> whatever it is that they set up, it's, it's so funny. Like, it's unintentionally funny, you know? I mean, it's probably meant in, on a level of funniness, but not supposed to be, but it is. Just to kind of show how rigid he is. Yeah. This is like... Yeah. Not to go back to Band of Brothers, but anytime they do anything military, I'm probably going to go to Band of Brothers. They studied these, what they called sand tables. So these were mm-hmm. maps in, I think, literally in sand, these aerial views, so that they knew like what landmarks to look for when they did a big drop like D-Day. Um, mm-hmm. And, and it usually was something like this. Like, I'm, I've got it paused on my screen right now, and I'm looking at, like, you know, they use scraps of metal and little twigs to, little sprigs of the trees to be the trees, and little, they made this little thing that's supposed to be, I think it's supposed to be the dish. Like, it's good, it makes sense if you're in a training scenario, or even if you're in a, a sort of a battle scenario like this, but Chief was right they are a fixed the silence are a fixed position they are an armed fixed position and this is a scrappy little you know five people who are not trained to do this it's unfortunate that crashdown just can't see the logic in this and be like okay we'd be better off hiding or or taking what chief says later like i don't know how long a click is i could look it up i haven't but it didn't seem to be that far away yeah, he, he kind of whines <laughs> when, he, when that line comes up. I was like, Jesus, guy. 
Yeah, like he just didn't, he was at this point where he didn't want his authority questioned. And he's, again, just like Ty, he is in over his head here. And he's not thinking clearly that like, no, you're, you know what, Chief, you're right. Like he doesn't want, it's like he doesn't want to be usurped. I don't know how you say that word. He doesn't want some, somebody like taking charge because that undermines his authority. But like his plan would have gotten them all killed. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, his plan got him killed because he was going to shoot Callie. Yeah, so um, so yeah, he's going over the tactics. They're called graphs. Um, he says there are five graphs. And, and <laughs> he kind of robot- robotically, um, say ironically, robotically kind of goes over them one by one. I love this. Graph one is the situation. Our situation is we are stuck on Cobalt. <laughs> like, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then uh, you know Tyrrell uh, or Baltar kind of walks over to Tyrrell and asks, uh, "What is it? What is this graph thing?" And Tyrrell's like, uh, "It's a basic command tool taught at officer command candidate school. It's just not used this literally in the field." <laughs> um, then Baltar interjects and he's like, "Oh come on, this is absurd. Um, you know, we can't take on this army." <laughs> he's like, "Again, another really kind of funny line." He's like, uh, "What are we gonna?" Do you take a mom with two rifles in a canteen? <laughs> Have you lost your mind? Um, this is an interesting interplay because Chief jumps in right away and shuts that down. And he's like, the LT is in charge. And he kind of like, the Baltar tries to interject and he's like, no, no. He, what he says goes. Right, like, this he's is not God, a democracy. Basically. There's a yeah. chain of command. This is this is a military operation and what chief did here was right because even though mm-hmm. he doesn't agree with the way crashdown is doing this there's a chain of command and when you break that chain of command at least in this moment mm-hmm. that could get them all killed we have to go with his orders that's the way this works so he makes baltar shut up and sit down <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Tyrrell tells Crash to continue, and Crash downs like, "Thank you, Chief." <laughs> and then he finishes the plan. I wrote, "It's a good plan." It's uh, it actually in that moment, it's a good plan. Right, it's well thought out enough. Of like, this is the situation. This is how many guns we have. This is the way that we can achieve this on paper. Callie is giving covering fire, right? Or she's. I can't remember. Yeah, like suppression, suppressing fire whilst like, but like the, yeah, and the whole, the whole thing is that, again, it's the piece, the, the component that comes in later that's the variable is the number of Cylons. Mm-hmm. And then they kind of realize something and that's when it becomes more advantageous to, to do what Chief kind of says and like, we should go for the Dreadus dish directly and not try to just kill the Cylons. So... So yeah, I just I'm this, like given the information that they had in the moment, I think it was a solid plan. Probably would have gotten them killed, but the the those were like those were the only alternatives that they had anyway, right? Let let's let let's the let the uh, raptor get shot down and hide, but then we might never get rescued and die. So the choice here is to like try to take down these Cylons as best we can. I mean, they are soldiers, after all, even though they, none of them were trained for it. Um, 
particularly to be fighters. Mm -hmm. So anyway, we're back on the Galactica. We're back in the brig. Rosalind is completely wigging out now. And Billy tells Venner she obviously needs medication. And Venner says, it sounds like, she, like you know, because Rosalind's kind of like babbling about something. And then uh, Venner says, it sounds like she's talking about the scrolls of Pythia. And then, uh, and this is they they talk of a rise of a leader who will save all humanity. And uh, Billy says he believes Venner. He's like, I, you sound like you know a lot about the scriptures. And Venner says he's from Geminon. I think I was I kind of remembered that from either this moment or like later in the show. They kind of talk about the Geminons being like hyper religious. Mm -hmm. And yes, and he's like, yeah, I'm from Geminon, and we believe in a literal interpretation of the scriptures. And so the Billy then sees if he can manipulate Venner to get a hookup for the Kamala extract. <laughs> then we jump to Ty's quarters and Ellen is doing her thing. So she's telling Ty all about Rosalind. Like she's obviously Rosalind's going crazy. And, you know, the irony is like they're both drinking mm -hmm. <laughs> at, the, at the moment, but they're kind of like judging other people for not having their shit together. She says the press and the quorum should see her. It's just you kind of wants Ty to. She's like, yeah, let them let them go see her because if they see her, then you know it'll show you it'll show everyone how out of control she actually is, and then that will leave you unchallenged and in command of the ship. That's her like goal. Mm -hmm. It's like again, her aspirations are so like base level, like. Yeah, she says, the little school teacher's mind has gone bye-bye, and the vice president is missing, so that will yeah. leave you with unchallenged command of the ship. And then Ty is like, and he unconvincingly <laughs> kind of says, yeah, that's it, until the old man gets back on his feet. But he doesn't really... Like for the first time, I think he doesn't really like seem focused about that. Like he's always very adamant about it, but in this moment, he he. And it, I'm not saying that he thought that he wanted to be in control, but I do think kind of kind of what you were we were talking about with um, uh, Zarek and Ellen before. It's like he's he's kind of pliable and malleable mm -hmm. i should say he's he's a uh, very malleable when um when these suggestions come into his uh into his mind so yeah. it's like oh like he got he, he this this idea of uh um martial law was just planted and now this idea of you being control of the ship is just planted and he's kind of wistfully like oh i don't know, I don't know. no 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 that's not going to happen <laughs> <laughs> but maybe, you know. And then <laughs> to in to response to that, Ellen says, Well, you know, of course you won't be in you know, until the old man gets back right. on his feet. Of course. Yeah. I just I wrote sure Jan. <laughs> <laughs> and then we jump to the uh, search and rescue mission, flying through space, they're going to Cobalt, racetrack in her in her raptor doing racetrack stuff so in love with her then we're on <laughs> then we're on cobalt um they're getting the our uh survivors are getting ready for their assault um callie is like it, it kind of like mirrors um a sequence with 
Apollo in the previous episode, she's like going over like what she's going to do in combat situations. So she says, cock the rifle, click the safety, open the scope. And she keeps repeating it over and over. Six shows up and they're back in that baller house. I noticed that there was a boat in the background. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and again, the things I see now that I watch it, watch it on the huge TV yeah. that I never noticed before. <laughs> um, but she tells uh, she tells Baltar one of them will betray the others, and if the, and if the attack fails, they'll die. Baltar's like, not me, right? I'm God's instru- instrument. And then um, head uh, head six is like, uh, no, God turned his back on Cobal. He turned his back on man and the false gods he worshipped. What happens on Cobal stays on Cobal. No, she says, what happens on Cobal is not his will. It kind of sets up this, like, anything can happen. Like, all this preordained stuff mm-hmm. kind of gets thrown out the window, and it gives it gives everything more of a feeling of, like, precariousness now, right? Um, we're at, we actually are at a, a kind of a crossroads. So then Crash Down, you know, um, back in real life, he's like, everyone saddle up, it's time to junk some toaster. And then he hands Baltar his gun. <laughs> and, uh... He puts his dog, the dog tags that he took earlier, puts them on, and then they head off. Then back on the go. See, this, there's so much going back and forth in this episode. Yeah. Um, kind of, it's like, like I, I think I, we were talking offline, and I was like, yeah, this episode is actually pretty dense, even though it has the same runtime as other episodes, but like, a lot of stuff actually is kind of going on um, in each scene. But back on Galactica, Ty's rolling, uh, he's this bottle, he's rolling back and forth over this old picture of him and Adama back when they were, like, maybe 20 years ago. Kind of reminded me of, like, that meme of Wolverine looking at the picture of Gene while he, Gene Grey, while he's lying in bed. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen that I one. I haven't seen that's, that one. <laughs> have you ever seen that? It's a, that's a, that's an internet classic, if you ever, uh... <laughs> <laughs> we're going we're back to like the 90s with that one but yeah if you ever see it there's like it's just a picture like wolverine's laying in bed and he was like looking it's from the cartoon um and he's looking at a picture of gene and whatever um, i kind of felt like that <laughs> when a, when ty was rolling the bottle over uh the picture of him and adamo um then his phone rings and uh it's d on the other line she says that the quorum demands to see the former president they're being pretty adamant. So then Ty Can is I like... Can uh, just give um, Kate Vernon some props here? She's always doing the most that she can in all of her scenes. <laughs> and yeah, I love that yeah. about her as an actress because she, as uh-huh. much as I like, most of the time can't stand Ellen, Kate yeah. Vernon really just does, she gives the business and she's just laying in that bed and the phone rings and she just starts like waving her foot at it. Yeah. She's just so, she's so good. Yeah. I, I just had to, I had to give her props. Yeah, no, it definitely, she definitely adds to that whole, like, thing. Like, yeah. he's rolling the bottle. She's like, it's kind of like they're, they're, they're in their own little world. Yep. Like, despite all the stuff that's going down. Yeah. I, I didn't notice the foot thing, but I did notice just how she's just kind of kicking it, kicking it in there. I also did, like, kind of note, I never, you know, I never really realized, like, she's stuck in those quarters. I was like, maybe that's why she's always trying to get <laughs> get the presidential suite. <laughs> she's stuck in that bunk that it is, like, for one person. Yeah. And, you know, I was like, maybe that's why. Poor Ellen. 
anyway, so Ty, Ty is like, you know, they can shove the demand up their collective asses. And then he gives that weird Ty laugh that Ty gives every once in a while. I, there's a, I forget what episode he does it in some other episode. He gives that little <laughs> laugh mm-hmm. and it's always great when he does it, actually. Um, D on the other line, <laughs> like Gata is there and she looks at him and gives like a, you know, uh, he's drinking mm-hmm. and rolls her eyes and it's, it's, it's played so well. Then, but then she says, yeah, they, uh, they need instructions for the sentries. They're asking how to respond. And then Ty, based on the conversation earlier with Ellen, is like, yeah, tell them they're going to get to see what's become of their precious president. You tell them that. And obviously he's kind of like drunkenly saying a lot of this stuff. Um, then we cut to the hallway. We cut to a hallway and uh, we see Venner walking through the hallway and he sneakily hands Billy the Kamala et- extract and then Billy, Billy kind of runs off. Then we're back on Cobol. Or no, we're back over Cobol. And Racetrack, the hero that she is, spots the be- <laughs> spots the beacon. <laughs> and she's, you know, she says we got a transponder signal. It's definitely colonial. Um, she says it's in the northern hemisphere and kind of gives a mountainous terrain. It's a valley. So we're like, us, the viewer knows, oh, that that's, that's where they are. Um, Apollo commands to take them out of orbit and they head mm-hmm. down toward Cobol. Down on Cobol, and this is when it gets really tense. On Cobol, they're getting ready to start the mission. All of a sudden, Tyrrell sees five Cylons at the launcher. And it's like, oh, wait, now... It actually might be seven Cylons total. Then Crashdown freaks out and he starts questioning Baltar. And he's like, did you really see two guards at the dish? And Baltar's just like, I saw what I saw. Baltar says, I know what I saw. Then she says, maybe there are only five Cylons, though. Um, He would say that, wouldn't he? (laughs) He doesn't know. He has not the, been activated yet. So he if know. the if the two sides, so and this is like this is when the whole kind of the complexion of everything changes because then the there was that whole question of like are the centuries right, and so mm-hmm. if the two if there actually are only five Cylons and there are two of them that were at the dish, that means that. If they're five down at the bottom now, then that means the dish is unprotected. And this is what Tyrol kind of sees. So Crash in Crash's head, there are seven Cylons now. And Tyrol's head is like, no, there's five. And so that's why the from a writer standpoint, that scene of Baltar questioning was important. <laughs> just so that you're kind of like, I don't know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But Baltar was actually right, apparently. So and this is when they kind of split. So then Chiefs is like, We should we should go do that. We should go. We should go, go blow, blow the, the dish, dish right now, and everything's kind of like tense and adamant right now. And then crash, <laughs> crash starts whining, um, like yeah, like you said earlier, like it's it's a click away. He like it's too far. It, it was giving like uh, I have to go to Toshi Station to get some power converters, like level of whining, right? <laughs> um, and then while they're arguing about that, they hear a sonic boom. I think it's like Baltar asked what that was, and Tyrol or. 
uh, Crash says it's raptors hitting the upper atmosphere. So everything's very like we gotta we gotta make a choice now. So they've got to do something. Um, and then the Cylons also hear that sonic boom. So they're like, okay, they're getting ready to do their thing. And then Crash is like, all right, we're going to do our plan. He's like, sends everyone into action. Meanwhile, Callie's over there. She starts like kind of wigging out. Like she can't move. She's freezing. Um, Crash is like, you move. He's telling her to move. Crash pulls his gun out and puts it to her head. And he threatens to kill her if she doesn't go. And he's gonna count to three, and like you know, he's gonna do it, right? Like they're like we've so yeah. like we've seen like you've watched a lot of stuff, and you kind of you can tell when something's bluffing. Like it's, through everything that's happened through the last few episodes, like you can tell, like it just like it, he it was like dark crash in this moment, and he he was going to shoot her, so he counts one, he pulls his gun. Um, Chief tells him to drop his weapon. Two, three. Chief pulls his gun up. It's like a cobalt standoff. And then he gets to three, and then we hear a gunshot. And then Crash slumps into the tree. And then cuts away, and Baltar's lying on the ground. He's got a smoking gun. And Baltar shot Crash down in the back. And they're all just kind of sitting there in shocked silence. <laughs> Like, what just happened? And then the Cylons heard the gunshot, so they start shooting at our Cobalt survivors. I was just going to say that, like, yes, I think Crashdown was going to do it, but he, it's almost like he felt like he had to because he was clearly upset at what he was doing. He's, like, crying, but... He again, like, just didn't see any other way out because his orders weren't being followed. And yeah. apparently, this is something that you learn <laughs> like, <laughs> somebody's gonna jeopardize the mission by not following orders, then you have to get rid of them. Yeah, and it, you know, there's like so much pressure, like, he's been going through all that pressure, and he just, yeah. he's like, just snap. It's like, yeah, we definitely, like, obviously, I mean. You might agree with him having shot Callie. I'm not sure. Well, <laughs> but I mean, we we definitely not quite there yet. But. Yeah, <laughs> but we definitely like you know don't want her. Being I wouldn't shot. agree with him shooting her for this reason. She right. throws up. She's in a situation that she's not prepared for or equipped for. Yeah, it's very scary. It's like. It's like ordering people to go to their own deaths. Like, it makes sense that she froze up. She also, like, joined... She joined up, as she says, to get money for dental school. She joined up and, and is in... She's on the deck crew. She's not... Mm -hmm. She's not combat. That she didn't... She didn't join to be... And and especially they... And they weren't, like, in a war scenario at the yeah. time. You know? But even still, like, she didn't become a fighter pilot, you know? Like, mm -hmm. she's deck crew. It's mm -hmm. a necessary position that's needed in order to keep, you know, the birds flying. But she's got no combat experience or and, and probably very little combat training. Woo! It was, like, super tense. And then all of a sudden, it was really quiet. And then it gets super intense again. And, like, it really kind of spirals. Um, so then Cylons are shooting at our guys behind, they're all the hiding behind like logs or whatever. 
Um, Tyrrell tells him to fall back. He grabs the dog tags. Before he leaves, he looks at Crash. <laughs> and then uh, Six shows up to Baltar and says, now you're a man. It's very toxic masculinity. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then overhead, we're, we jump into the Raptors and the Raptors are like, oh, we'll be there in five minutes. So it kind of establishes like our time frame here. And then the group down back on, on the ground, the group's running through the forest. Chief Chief goes all last of the Mohicans through the forest. Um, <laughs> the Raptors like zoom overhead. And then Chief has like rocket launcher. He gets to the Dratus. Um, he tries to shoot the Dratus, but then he gets hit by one of the Cylons. Well, Celix gets hit as well. Yeah, Celix gets hit as well, and she just lays there and looks stunned. I, I skipped over Celix because that's what that's all she does is look stunned the whole episode. Well, she cries out, and Callie like helps her. And that's and then Chief gets to the dish. Yeah, and then and shoots it down. Yeah, and then he, yeah, so then he gets the, he gets the, well, he drops the rocket launcher, and then he tells Baltar to get him the launcher, Mm -hmm. and then, in that whole time, the missile launcher actually fires the missiles into the air, and so the raptor's definitely going to get shot down. Chief finally gets a bead on the Dratus, shoots it, blows up. There's a little weird uh, CGI gear that falls at your screen when you watch. <laughs> you're never gonna, you're never gonna forget that. Now that I brought it up, <laughs> in the Raptor, they ping the missiles, um, but then almost immediately, like you see the them veering away, and they say uh, they didn't get a lock, and so they zoom away. And then it's like it's just another moment. Like Chief and Baltar just kind of sit like still for a moment, like oh, we just did that. And then they get start getting shot at again, and they get attacked. And then Baltar kind of gets away, so it's like Baltar, Celix, and um, Callie over there, and Baltar or and uh, Tyrrell's just kind of by himself, and he's stuck. Um, they're you know shouting for the chief, and then Chief's just like "f it." Here's my hero moment. <laughs> he stands up, and he just starts shooting at the Cylons, <laughs> and then all of a sudden they blow up, and he's standing there shocked and then kind of looks over his shoulder and he sees the raptor hovering behind him and then they cut inside and lee is like you're welcome and i actually thought this i was like he, he should actually be saying thank you actually but whatever <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't know that they blew yeah. up the dish yet yeah he doesn't know but it's like dude you know they would be dead if not for all of that stuff so um, I remember the first time I watched that, uh, I was just like, it felt like I was watching a movie and I was just so like, I was so stunned cause I was like, this is television. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Anyway, so then they go back to, we're back on the Galactica and we're, uh, the quorum is on its way to see Laura and Ty's being all like, Oh, he's being the worst here. Yeah, like the worst. He's like he's kind of like doing victory laps or something before, yeah. like you know, a viewing time at the at the zoo. Yeah. <laughs> Zarek's like uh, glad you hold the president such high esteem. Ty's like your days come to laughing boy. I actually I actually laughed at that. That was actually funny to me. Then they enter the quorum enters and Laura's standing there, kind of in a daze. And, you know, clearly she 
seems like she has the entire episode where she's kind of out of it. And then Ty's like, all right, I'm going to round you guys up. Nothing to see here. And then as they start to leave, Laura finally stands up and she gives an awesome little mini speech. Mm -hmm. Um, And she's basically thanks everyone for coming. She has a statement to make. There was an attempted military coup against the lawful government of the colon- uh, This attempted coup against the lawful government of the colonies is illegal, ill-advised, and clearly doomed to failure. She has not resigned the presidency, and she will fight this action with everything at her command. And then Ty is like stunned. <laughs> he's like, "She's she crazy." She's a prophet. He's like, "Go ahead, ask her." The arrow of Apollo will open up the tomb of Artemis, or whatever he says. And- and then she's like, everything I've done is consistent and logical. I don't think so, but um, we, <laughs> we have found Cobalt, she says. We found the city of the gods and we will retrieve the arrow. We will open the tomb of Athena <laughs> and we will find the road to Earth. <laughs> and then um, Sarah is her name, the, um, I think for the representative from uh, Geminon. Uh, I think it's like, madam, have you read the scrolls of Pythia? And then Rosalind's like, uh, carefully many times. And I humbly believe that I am the fulfilling the role of the leader. And then, it, then they're like, uh, you know, you represent Geminon. You know more about the scrolls and the scriptures. Um, isn't there something else to this? And then she's like, yes, the scrolls tell us that a dying leader will lead us to re- uh, salvation. And then Ty's like, you know, she's not dying. She's crazy. And then this is like the big reveal about Laura's condition, the whole fleet, everybody will know this now. She says, it's kind of like when Tony Stark says, I am Iron Man. She says, <laughs> I am dying. I have terminal breast cancer. Doc Carl will verify the diagnosis. I have months to live. And in that time, I will lead the people to salvation. It is my sole purpose. And Sarah says, praise be to God. I love I love Laura's delivery of all of this stuff, even though I don't think that she's been logical. <laughs> but she's yeah. done everything that she, like, obviously done everything that she needed to do. She hasn't been logical, but she also is not technically wrong. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know? Like, it's the they, whole thing is based on not following logic, actually. It's like yeah, taking a like leap of faith. Yeah. Taking a leap of faith. Like, yeah. this seems to all be falling in line that, I, you know, we found this place this is what it actually is. This is what we need. And yes, I sent somebody back to Caprica to get this arrow, but the reasoning is sound based on this stuff. Now, if somebody in our world did this, we would be like, get them into a fucking asylum. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I mean, yeah. You know, there's people out here twisting the words of these religious texts to suit their needs right which some could look at Rosalind and say she's doing that too mm-hmm. it's just mm-hmm. that we know that she is having these visions of this place mm-hmm. that things are for her it is logical because of her experience it's just that most of the people in this story are not in her head right so they you know it for sure sounds crazy yeah all the people that have like that are sort of like roles of privilege or command that have anything to do with uh, making decisions are privy to a lot of this stuff and all of this stuff gets verified to them. And that one last piece 
is the that kind of tipping point moment for them to actually believe all of this stuff because it's kind of like like even if i don't believe it like a lot of weird stuff has happened and it's all being verified now so Mm -hmm. maybe i should actually kind of believe them and they and this society is way more inclined to believe in the religious religiosity of everything so they're they're way more primed to actually at least a, a good number of people are like okay yeah this is um you know, and it's, uh, you know, at, at its core, Battlestar Galactica is basically, uh, you know, space morons, right? So it's the the 12 tribes of Israel looking for the 13th tribe that went to America or whatever that the, <laughs> the Mormons uh, believed in. So, um, you know, at its core, there's, a, there's all this mysticism that's baked in that is actually... Um, inherent to their belief system. So then Ty, upon hearing this, is like, uh, he's had enough. And he makes them all exit. He tells the sergeant of the guard to round them up and escort them back to the shuttle. And the door closes. Rosalind thanks Venner. And then he says, thank the gods. And back on Cobal, Tyrrell hands the dog tags to Apollo. And then um, Paulo says, it's, really co- it's a cool line. It's like, it's a hell of a butcher's bill, chief. Um, and then he asks how to crash down die. And then Tyrrell's about to like answer, and then Baltar jumps in. And he's like, leading the charge. He gave his life in the, in the finest tradition of the service. Mm-hmm. And, and Tyrrell's just like, yeah, he was a hero to the end. Um, in my notes, I wrote, forensics would disagree. <laughs> Uh, you got you got why do you get shot in the back that's weird um and this is a colonial weapon uh then six appears and she says she's proud of gaius he says because he's taken a life and she says because it makes him human and then baltar and this kind of like connects back to that conversation that they had at the very beginning she's like um like is is this what makes me human it's not conscious thought he says not poetry or art or music or literature murder is murder is my heritage uh, is this the lesson i'm supposed to pass to our child and she says Shh, it'll be all right guys and actually like personally completely disagree with this take <laughs> that six has about like murder is uh what makes us human um i actually think his answer i think is all the things that make us human yeah um i think nature murders just animals and I mean humans whatever like that's our base nature is to kill things but what makes us rise above is because we create we make music we make art we build cities we do all this other stuff so disagree with her there but it you know it has it it makes a it makes a a point you know um anyways gotta round them up Apollo's like gotta get out of here um and then that's when she's I think you said the line earlier she Six says she'll be his conscience. Um, then they get on the raptor and they head out. And that's when I finally like gave a sigh of breath because it's like, oh, God, I can kind of kind of relax a little bit. But but wait, there's more. <laughs> and <laughs> back in sick bay, it's when um, Coddle says uh, Dama's still alive. Times when when will he wake up? And she's like. Oh, another coddle line he'll wake up when he's damn well ready <laughs> and then ty says to adama is really fracked up things for him i think you said that line a little bit earlier 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, then he gets up and he goes to the press conference. And then we see quite a turn from that moment to the next. And in the, in the press conference, he says that he tells everybody about the events that took place on Colonial One. He says Laura's actions are subordinating uh, in subordinating mutiny and sedition among the military cannot be tolerated. Therefore, Commander Adama was left with no choice other than to remove her from office. He says that Rosalind is resting comfortably on the ship and will remain there until such time as the commander deems otherwise. And he says, obviously, the government cannot function under these current circumstances. And then he makes this huge leap. (laughs) And he's like, so I've decided to dissolve the Quorum of Twelve. And as of this moment, I have declared martial law. And then this is actually a track on the soundtrack, season two of Battlestar, Martial Law. And uh, they play the martial law music. And it's very like, you know, uh, there's a final finality to it. It's very militaristic and final. Um, he exits amongst all the chaos. Everyone in the, you know, the, all the reporters and everyone's just like, ah. And he just exits through all, all of it. And he tells them, get, this, get these people off my ship. And then he stops in the corridor. Yeah, <laughs> about five an- feet away from everybody. Yeah, takes another swig of alcohol. <laughs> and uh, the drums take us into the black. And that's the end of Fragged. So, um, Sam Witwer said that he was cast really early on in season one. Mm-hmm. And was basically told like this and he really really wanted to get on the show he'd been a Mm -hmm. fan of the original show as a kid Mm -hmm. and when he heard they were doing a new version of it he really really wanted to be on it and so he gets cast he thought he was gonna be uh, gonna have a much bigger role Mm -hmm. but as it turned out they just had such a big cast that they never really got to get got to any of the things that they talked to him about like what they were planning on doing with crashdown they mm-hmm. you know on the fly sort of changed things around as stories sort of went in different directions mm-hmm. so he was spending a lot of time just sitting in his hotel room in vancouver because they also seemed to make changes while they were in production so they would have him there because he would be you know on the call sheet and then it would get changed so he said he was getting really frustrated mm-hmm. because he couldn't go out for anything else because he was supposed to be in these episodes and then he ended up not being in a lot of the episodes that he was slated to be in. And then they just they decided that it was unfortunate, but this was where the story's taking us. This is going to be the end of Crashdown. David Icke told him, like, we've got a really good death plan for you and Sam Witwer was totally for that because it meant that he could go back to LA and start auditioning for other things and work on his music. He talks about his band. He's like, we're terrible, but the music <laughs> out there if you want it. Um, yeah, his band's like a play on Crashdown or something. I can't remember. I think it's called The Crashdowns. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. But he had nothing negative to say whatsoever about being on the show or how small his part ended up being. He really he said he learned so much because he was such a new actor. Mm-hmm. He said he learned 
more from like watching James Ca- James Callis and Aaron Douglas than anything. He's just like mm-hmm. couldn't sing their praises enough. But he just he had basically been sold something that he didn't get. You know, he thought his role was going to be much bigger. I think yeah. I think when they decided to keep Hilo that might have minimized Crashdown's role a little bit too because they sort of took the Sharon character in a slightly different direction as well. Yeah. But he just is so proud of what he did on the show and being a part of the show just expected it to be a much bigger role than it ended up being. And then, you know, he went on to be the lead in another sci-fi series and everything worked out very well for him. So Yeah, he's had he's had a pretty good career and I I mean, it's one of those things where yeah, like okay, so he didn't. We didn't end up being in the reality where he like went on to be some great hero, I guess, in, in Battlestar Galactica. Like I think where the next thing I saw him in was uh, Smallville, and he played uh, like basically Doomsday. And um, I, you know, I was watching with a, a friend of mine at the time, and we it's just we always had commented how that. That interpretation of Doomsday was much better than anything they had done in the comics. And he was very sympathetic and uh, actually, you know, again, like the plight that that character was in, I actually kind of felt for him um, because it was like he's kind of like he was bred to do evil things, but he was this very kind, um, helpful human being. And like it's because Sam Witwer's his acting was able to convey that. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he, the next thing I saw him in was, um, being human, which like, I, um, still think that, you know, the, I, the originals is great, but I, I really loved how he portrayed his character. In this. I might have to give, I know I've said this before, but I might have to give it another try just because I like Sam Witwer so much. Yeah. His vampire was just like the, it's because of Sam Witwer. It's just because yeah. of him. He's just so, there's this, there's, there's this. Uh, I don't know. He's just like he's just so he's so engaging. So even as Crashdown, like he's playing this guy that's like kind of like you know we he's doofus or whatever. But it's like he just he's so endearing. And so mm-hmm. when he does pass, it's like obviously there's all this ugly stuff around it. But it's like you're you kind of feel for the guy in in a lot of yeah. ways. At least I do. You know. So yeah. This in my. Uh... My official, unofficial, official companion. They said, we all agreed that season two should mark the rise of Gaius Baltar. Mm -hmm. So how can Baltar stop what looks like a suicide mission? He can shoot first. The writer suggested that Baltar kill Crashdown. And that sort of helps him, like, save the whole mission and set him on a path of what we, where we see Baltar start to go. Mm Mm-hmm. This episode was directed by Sergio Mimica Gezen, who has directed um, at least one episode, and he directed You Can't Go Home Again in season one. He mm-hmm. was the first AD on Spielberg movies, including Saving Private Ryan. So yeah. they had written this homage to Saving Private Ryan mm-hmm. before they got him for this episode, and then when they got him for this episode, they were like, oh. <laughs> but... Um, he loved it. He mm-hmm. loved the homage. Let's see. James Callis said 
that shooting Crashdown was a very emotional moment to shoot. Luckily for me, Sam Witwer was very good about it. I saw him for lunch sometime afterwards, and he was very nice. He does not bear any grudges. (laughs) (laughs) And then there's stuff about Ty. Ron Moore said, Ty is a man you want in command in a crisis or wartime situation. He successfully guides everyone through Scattered and Valley of Darkness, but in Fragged, we wanted to see when the crisis is over, you don't really want Ty in command because he's not very political and he drinks too much. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was interesting. Also, apparently the two writers who wrote this episode quit after this because they did not like the genre as much as they thought they might. They had a little trouble with the show's combination of science fiction and military life. Mm. I don't think they were really interested in either. They liked the show. I liked them personally, and they liked me, but they felt they wanted to do something else, so we let them go, and that was fine. I actually noticed that uh, they were writers on a show that Katie Sackhoff was on that was uh, a... God, I can't remember the name of it now. That Longmire or whatever? No, not Longmire. It was um, before. It was before Battlestar. It was oh. before. Yeah, it was kind of like. Um, it was kind of a uh, one of those drama dramedies or comedy kind of shows. It was like a. I think it was like a. Anyways, they were writers on that with her, and like now that you say that, I can see that genre is completely different from like this Battlestar stuff. So mm-hmm. I can see how they might not have particularly enjoyed that. I mean, not every genre is for everyone. Some, you know, I wouldn't, as much as I know about, like, military stuff, just from, you know, the reading I've done about World War II and the media that I have consumed, I would never, ever be like, let me write on that. Mm-hmm. If, you know, Spielberg was making another World War II um, miniseries, and that's my jam, but, like, can I write it? No, absolutely not. You know, I don't know what I would be good at writing, but it's probably drama over anything. And I I could understand like, oh, I'm a big fan of this. I want to get on that show. And then you Mm -hmm. get on it and you're like, oh, yeah, no, this isn't my brain doesn't work in this way. Yeah, there's a school of thought, too, that's a little bit separate from this. But there's a school of thought in the um, that industry where, like, just pick a genre and stick with that. Because they, like a lot of people, don't necessarily want you bouncing around. So yeah. uh, if you like want to do dramas, then stick to dramas. Even if you have a really great science fiction idea, <laughs> don't do it. You know, they kind of teach you that. Um, I don't necessarily agree from a create creative standpoint, but from a um, getting work standpoint, I can kind of see it. Cause like we, we, as, as fans, we kind of do that ourselves. It's like, um, Peter Jack, Peter Jackson got Lord of the Rings. That's the guy that did meet the feebles and, right. um, you know, and so, you know, so we definitely have that piece for ourselves. James Gunn's doing gardens of the galaxy. That's well, kind that of actually did... made sense to me. Well, yeah, but it's like he did that. He did that once. Was it Slime Slimer, whatever that movie was? Yeah, I can't remember the name of it. Slither, whatever. Slither. Yeah, yeah Slither. That movie was good. Yeah, yeah. But he also did Super, and I think Super is why he got Guardians. Yeah, but anyways, it's yeah. So there, we 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 do that all the time, right? Um, but that 
there are there are more there are just like with ourselves there's more to us than just what i think people sometimes want to like put us in a in a box but yeah well we as humans really like to put people in boxes and Mm -hmm. everybody needs to be categorized and stay in their lane and i think sometimes the best things that people end up doing are the ones that are outside of their comfort zone Mm -hmm. but i think it also says a lot about a person if they're like i gave this a try and this isn't for me this isn't the genre that i feel like i can excel at and that's okay too yeah like the the guys from uh uh the guys that the marvel guys uh I forget their names. Oh, now. the Russo brothers? Yeah, they did. They were they on Community? Or yeah, something? they were. Yeah. They did a lot of sitcom work, and then they yeah. got Marvel. But as we're now seeing, as they're getting their own stuff, maybe mm-hmm. they did well with the Feige factor, mm-hmm. where they had to operate within some confines. Because mm-hmm. I, I haven't watched Gray Man, but I heard it's trash. Really? I loved that. I thought it was oh, great. Oh, really? Yeah. I've been, I've only heard that it's not good, so I've been like hesitant to watch it even though it's got my guy in it. I don't know where I'm going with this. Anyway, um Fragged. Good episode. Yeah, so the next one. So we love Crashdown. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I was really I was really moved by his passing. And I think because we we've talked about him quite a bit, like because we kind of we knew where this was leading, you know, like he definitely has an exit. And I I took the time after I watched this episode. Um, uh, I actually enlisted the aid of Chat GPT um, in a in a bid for irony, um, because machines mm-hmm. and Cylons um, um, to help me write. A little going away for Crashdown. <laughs> and I called it, I, so I had it help me write an elegy. And it's called An Elegy for Crashdown, An Elegy for Crashdown. <laughs> so if you wouldn't mind, I would like to, to read it now. Okay. If that's okay with you. Sure. All right. With a heavy heart and a touch of jest... An ode for Crashdown. Wasn't he just the best? He <laughs> he crashed down hard. His skills adjust. A character beloved who failed the ultimate test. Oh, Crashdown, weren't you a sight to see? With do-bro antics and a heart so free. In the realm of Cobol, your journey ends. No white shores for you, dog. Ashes on the wind. The apple of Ensign Davis's eye, you fought with gusto, but in the end, you died. Baltar's, <laughs> Baltar's aim, a sardonic aside, shot in the back, dang, irony, just can't hide. We'll miss your laughter and your boneheaded ways, your doofusness, oh, how it brightened our days. You big old lug with a heart so grand, our loss immeasurable as you slip from our hand. Not a Cylon, at least. What a relief to find. In this wild space opera, your fate was not so kind. In the grand tapestry of BSG's lore, your presence, though brief, will be cherished evermore. With each dramatic twist, 
your memory will retain, for in our heart's embrace, crash down shall forever reign. Goodbye, crash down. We bid you adieu. So say we all, forever true. <laughs> Where did the chat GPT get all of this information from? The, uh, the chat GPT was created by man. <laughs> <laughs> but you, I mean, there's stuff in there that we have said about him. So Yeah, no, I didn't, like I said, I had it help me. Like I, 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 I had it kind of like lay out like a form and it gave me some stuff and then I went in and I put some details in okay. you know, and stuff and then I had it redo some stuff and there was I had a whole fight with it because <laughs> it would not let me end on so say we all <laughs> I mean, just would not it would not it's like I wanted to the last line needs to be so say we all and it was like every time it wouldn't like do it so I just had to yeah. I actually read it and I was like oh it actually Let's just end this way. Um, um, so, yeah, that's the elegy for Crashdown and elegy for Crashdown. Okay. <laughs> so you're going to, what, turn that into some sort of thing for Instagram? Yeah, I think we're going to, I am, I uh, do, I'll have a recording of it and I'll post it on our Instagram. There'll be a little music behind it. It's very cheesy. It's not meant to be <laughs> taken seriously, anybody that sees it, so... Um, but I just can thought it was kind of... Can I at Sam Whitwer once it's posted? I was actually thinking that. Like, yeah. Like, go ahead. Okay. Like, yeah. Because it's just... I just... I mean, no, no. Like I said, like, we... I, I, I will speak for myself. Like, obviously, we, we talk a lot about, like, Crash Hour. Like, you big dummy, whatever. But it's like... <laughs> it's like I, but, I, like, I love him, you know? Yeah. And I, and like, and so it's like, we're saying, like, we're saying goodbye now. We're not going to get to talk about Crashdown anymore. And I just wanted to, I wanted to give like a a farewell to the guy and, uh, and, you know, knowing in real life that he went on to do such great and wonderful things. So that makes it feel, makes it feel a little better. And, uh, he also like rescues dogs and stuff. Oh, does he? Yeah. Yeah, he's got like three pit bulls, and one of them he like found, like behind a like in an alley or something. Like, he's I love Sam Whitwer. He's a cool dude. Yeah, he seems like a cool dude. Yeah, you should watch. Just try, try season one of Being Human. Just try. I it. just I have to let go of how I feel of I of, like comparing it to the original because I like Sam Whitwer, but he mm-hmm. is no Aiden Turner. I they don't... love the original series. Yeah, I mean the the first season or two, the original. I mean, I I, I love, but I just feel like because of kind of the format and the way some British television runs, I think that the actors moved on. Mm-hmm. It just it didn't really it didn't get to complete, and so this show does that. Um, I think it was over four or five seasons. I think and. Um, I do think that they like at least in the first season they did. I don't think that they handled the werewolf part very well. Like, I, and I remember in the British finale, it was very a lot more pointed. Mm-hmm. Um, but and I don't think that they handled that as well. But overall, I think that they did like everybody's story 
was pretty great, and I, I loved the way that it ended. So, um, hold on just a second. My my, speak speaking of speaking of AI. Your Cylon is yelling at you. Yeah, computer, stop. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. I think I have enough distance from the original now to maybe give the new the American version a fair shot. But I tried mm-hmm. watching it shortly after I finished all four seasons of the British one, and I was just like, nope, nope, this is not right. I hate it. Uh, but I might feel differently now. So, mm-hmm. Okay, so was Baltar the worst this week? He definitely was not the worst. He was like kind of the hero. No, he was yeah. not. Ty was the worst this week. Ty was, yeah, Ty was definitely the worst. <laughs> so who gets full colors? Um, I had a, I think I was like a toss up between Tyrol and, um, Tyrol and Baltar, actually. I said Baltar, but I could see Tyrol as well. Yeah. Who should be thrown out the airlock? Uh, Ty. I I said Ellen. Yeah, I was just gonna say... (laughs) When you get to the Cylon part, I was going to be like Ellen. But yeah, she's uh, she definitely needs to go out of that airlock for <laughs> show. And this week's favorite Cylon? Um, Tyr- Tyrrell, actually. Uh, we cannot pick that. <laughs> I, know, I know, I know. It's, it's a joke. Um, there's, I mean, there, we, I mean... Speaking of, like, we, I don't really think that we see, other than, like, you know, Head 6, which is, like, kind of a question, we don't see yeah. any other um, Cylons, and, which brings up that we actually have not, this was, I think, was the first episode where we don't see Starbuck or Hilo, actually. Yeah, we don't go back um, to Caprica in this episode at all. Yeah, at all. So, Which works because we feel like there's a passage of time yeah. that we feel um, when we finally see them next episode again, so... Okay, so where can people find you on the internet? Ooh, everywhere. Uh, they are at the Armageddon, um, Boops of Life, First Noel Chronicles. These are all um, projects and things that I'm involved in and doing, producing. Um, Boops of Life is a series of uh, inspirational videos with me doing narration. Um uh, First Noel is my uh, fantasy novel that is an uh, audiobook slash podcast. I just released uh, the re-recording of Chapter One, um, so that's up and live now. And um, also uh, Angela and the Dark, which is uh, I think we talked about it in the last episode. We just announced um, officially. Uh, we got. Uh, Murray Gold is doing the theme music uh, for it, uh, and we're right now, um, my music person is actually adding uh, the rest of the score, and we should be releasing it hopefully by the by mid-June, uh, end of June. And uh, it's a motion comic about, uh, it's a world that's kind of like Blade Runner, um, but then you drop a little girl like... Pippi Longstocking right in the middle of it. And so this is our uh, introductory story to the to the world and the concept. And that's where you can find me. Okay. Um, you can find me at our Twitter account, which is GalactuallyPod. We did try to align all of our media, our social media accounts, but 
Galactica actually was too many characters for Twitter. Yeah, it's so a, for, it's... for Twitter, it's Galactually Pod. Gmail is Galactica Actually Podcast at gmail.com. Send us your comments and uh, questions. You can also find us on Instagram at Galactica Actually. And you could find my past work at the Unspoiled Network. You can find that on any of your podcast sites. Um, I did Doctor Who, Lost, Band of Brothers, Punisher, and the Vampire Diaries. So next week we have Resistance. We will be heading back to Caprica and we will meet the Resistance. In Whoa, the form this is of Sam this is, Anders. I was about to say this is like your this is like your the debutant. I've been waiting. <laughs> You've been waiting, waiting for my man to arrive. <laughs> I love Anders. I love Michael Truco. I'm very excited. Yeah, he was a great find. Uh, yeah. I think it was a great find for that character and role. And he grew up, grew into so much more. And finally yeah. get to meet him. Yeah. Yeah, so until then, what do you hear? Nothing but the rain. Bye. See ya. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.